Are we having a moment? Do the moments make us or do we make the moments? Coming up next on this episode of the Gratitude Journal Podcast. This is the Gratitude Journal Podcast. I know it's the fifth day of August, but if my mathematical counter operates effectively, I would say that this is probably day number seven. Day number seven of absolutely perfect weather in Northeast Ohio. Matthew here in the comfy confines of the basement lair, staring out at my glass block window where the sun is blazing away. The humidity is nowhere to be found. The sun is plentiful. The blue skies surround us. And it is one of those days that you just go, wow, it's one of those days. It's just one of those days you just really never want it to end. (sighs) Until the next thunderstorm blows in. So we're going to soak it up while we can here on uh, this, the fifth day of August 2020, still in the heart of the pandemic. And it really looks like it's really not going to go anywhere anytime soon. As I like to say, I hope, and I mean this sincerely, I hope you're safe and that you're healthy. Isn't it funny, though, that every time we have anything medical that happens with us, automatically we go to Google and search COVID-19 symptoms because, you know, they're so plentiful. And although there are some common symptoms, I learned today in my New York Times app that some of these symptoms can manifest themselves in all sorts of different ways. And it was really interesting because my wife woke up near the time that I usually wake up and she claimed that she couldn't breathe and we had the window way open and it's like she was like congested uh like in her nose not like in her chest and then she got up she had to sit upright and i'm thinking oh great oh great and uh, now she seems to be perfectly normal it was just one of those things but immediately when i sat to read my paper and i watched her kind of sleeping on the sofa out in the living room I came across the article that said, you know, here are the symptoms, then here are the secondary symptoms. And really, it covered about 1,900 symptoms. So from that standpoint, we're really not sure the extent of what is COVID and what isn't COVID. But we continue, at least in this house, to do all the things that we're supposed to do. Yours truly is fresh from his annual trip to Louisville, Kentucky. I went back and forth about this one. And the lucky part is that my good friends, Ron and Gary, really do nothing. (laughs) I mean, you know, they go to work, but really they've been working from home. So aside from Ron probably doing the majority of the shopping, they really haven't done anything. And our time spent there is predominantly outside. And the porch that we predominantly spend our time on is pretty large. So our sort of regular seating assignments are pretty socially distanced anyway. So when I was inside the house, I tried to wear my mask as much as possible. And really, we all tried to do everything that we could do 
shy of saying, uh, throwing caution to the wind and saying there is no such thing as COVID-19. So hopefully I didn't bring anything back with me or hopefully I didn't take anything down there with me and pass it on to them. So we're all trying to live this new normal that is 2020 and it's tough. It's tough to try to figure out the right things to do and take abuse from people who don't want to do any of these things. And I've long made my peace with those folks. And I've just basically said, listen, I'm going to wear a mask. I'm going to do all the things I'm supposed to do. And that's that. So before I left, my car died. That was the newest escapade in our world. Well, it's not the newest escapade. I'll get to the latest happenings here in a little bit. But my car was sort of, I want to say it was not dying because it was running very well. But something needed to be repaired, and the person who put it up on the jack to repair it so that it could pass e-check all of a sudden claimed to me that this frame is shot. Uh, you're going to have to have it welded, and even then I'm not sure I can make this repair in order to make the engine light turn off. And I think I don't have good news for you. So it was one of those situations where I junked a car. I've never done that before. And I actually drove it to the place. And they were like, well, do you need a toad? And I'm like, no, it runs perfectly fine. It's just not going to survive. And so now we're a one car family. So I've been kind of staring out at the driveway because that's where it sat all of these years at this kind of empty space and kind of longingly thinking, can we do this? And you know, in reality, we should be able to do this, right? I mean, my bride doesn't work and she really goes out of the house very little, even less often and less frequently now with a pandemic going on. And I work here in the basement layer. So you would think, as our folks did many years ago, survived easily with one vehicle, that this would be something that we should be able to do. And darn it, we're going to do it. At least for now. Back in late 1999, early 2000, I accepted a position at a radio station in Washington, D.C. This was the second time that I had moved us to our nation's capital because of a broadcasting job. And my job was to be the imaging director for the Clear Channel Sports Radio Station, WTEM. And although I spent the majority of my time at our building in Silver Spring, Maryland, when I first arrived, the station was actually in an office complex in Rockville. And if you've ever been to that part of Maryland, Rockville, Maryland, and Rockville Pike, the major road that runs through Rockville, is very, very busy. And as I mentioned in other podcasts, it was kind of during a time where I was making the transition from being at home or being in a place of familiarity and then moving to a place where I wasn't familiar. And even though I had done this on several different occasions, as I've mentioned in previous episodes, I was kind of going through my phase where, you know, did I make the right decision? Did I do the right thing? 
Wow, traffic is really horrendous here. Am I really going to make enough money to survive? My wife wasn't with, with me. I was kind of missing her. And well, not kind of missing her. I was missing her. And it was just, I was in one of those situations where I was trying to feel my oats, you know, uh, feeling my way through the fog, trying to get a gist and a handle on things and how I was going to perform during my day and then perform at a high level, you know, at the radio station, which I was expected to perform. I mean, a top 10 radio market, very competitive. And sometimes during lunch, I would walk down the street and this was my first encounter with the Subway sandwich chain because I had never seen these before. And apparently on, on the East Coast, they had become popular before they arrived in the Midwest, or at least arrived for my familiarity with them in the Midwest. And at lunchtime, it was very crowded, and we'd wait in line so that we could make our way up to the order station. And, and that situation, that ambiance and environment wasn't too terribly different than what it is now. And on my second or third visit to really the only place that was in walking distance, I certainly didn't want to get my car out of the parking deck and drive somewhere to get something for lunch. It just seemed to be easier to do when I didn't bring lunch. I was standing in line probably behind eight or nine people, and they had an array of workers behind the counter. And I remember there was this young girl, and... I would guess, based on her appearance, that she was from Mexico, but she could have been really from most any Central or South American country. And if you've ever been to Washington, D.C., the greater D.C. metro, or lived there, you know that just about every ethnic group in the world is represented in the District of Columbia, and especially in Maryland, and Rockville was a very popular place to live if you lived on the Maryland side. And while this girl was making sandwiches, putting lettuce and various vegetables on an assembly line of sandwiches, it looked to me like she didn't really know that much English. She looked relatively new, as I felt relatively new. And sometimes while she was making sandwiches, her eyes would drift up from the sandwich and she would look out into the crowd, the people standing in line. And one particular day, our eyes met and she smiled, a really gentle, beautiful smile. And something about that smile just hit me in a certain way. It wasn't a sexual thing. It was just a a feeling like we had a mutual understanding of our newness. And on the second or third visit when she was working, she would see me in line and she would smile. And finally I would get to the order place and I would order my sandwich and then I would kind of move down the line. And as she was making other people's sandwiches, she would look up from her sandwich and she would look over and make eye contact with me and she would smile. And I would smile back. And I could tell people who were working with her were trying to communicate with her. And it was tough because it seemed like she had a lack of the command of the English language. So when I would get in front of her with my sandwich choice, 
she would again smile and she would point at the various things. And if she pointed at tomatoes, I would shake my head. No, because as anyone who knows me knows, I love tomato byproducts, but just to eat a tomato, mm, it's not my thing. And so it's almost the way we would communicate. And I would notice that she would sometimes communicate with other customers like that as well. And even after I had moved down the line and she was making sandwiches for other customers, she would sometimes look up and look over at me and smile this gentle, angelic smile. And I can remember in the afternoons later when I was working, I would look over at my empty subway to go cup and I would think of this girl wondering how she had done what she had done. At such a young age, to move to a country where she did not speak the language and to try to assimilate. And here, I was born in this country and I was sort of beating myself up about the fact that, that I was incapable of assimilating with much more ease and much more grace, a person who was a native and was fluent in English and was an American. And one night I was driving home and I passed that subway on my way to the entrance to the beltway and I thought of her again and on the radio was the U2 song stuck in a moment and for whatever reason that very popular song reminded me of this girl and for a couple of days I couldn't get her out of my mind it's like at that time we had this moment and that song would play at the same time and it really kind of hit me for several days and again it wasn't a sexual thing it was hard for me to understand completely what i felt but i realized that sometimes a whole experience can be defined or better defined in one moment. Several months after I had started and become much more comfortable at the radio station, I started to go down to the subway again and I noticed that she wasn't working there. So after the third time, I figured that maybe she had found another job or had decided to go back or perhaps had been deported and there was no one for me to ask hey that little girl that young woman who worked in the afternoons is she around anymore i never see her there was no one for me with whom to inquire Before I met my wife, I was in pretty bad shape. I lived in an apartment. I didn't make very much money. I don't make very much money now. But I ran into a lot of financial difficulty. I ran up a lot of credit card debt. 
I was just very unsure as to what I was doing with my life. I left the seminary after graduating, and I told myself that I was going to embark on a new career. And my career teaching, although I enjoyed it, wasn't something that I knew I was going to be doing long term. In one of my haunts, when I would get home from the classroom in the evening, and especially on the weekends, was an old restaurant in Canton that's no longer around. It's called the Pewter Mug. And the Pewter Mug had a bar that was separate from the restaurant, and it was dark, and it was kind of classy. And I could show up at the bar, and I could buy 99-cent draft beers between 5 and 8 o'clock, and I could eat all the popcorn that I could possibly eat. And if that wouldn't satisfy me, I would take my credit card and run up some more credit card debt by buying a hamburger and some fries. And normally, these entrees were a lot more expensive than I was used to buying. But it was a credit card, right? (laughs) And I only had to pay a certain amount at the end of the month. So again, to reiterate, I was horrible financially. But one night there was a waitress who worked there off and on, and she got off her shift. And for whatever reason, she decided to sit at the bar a couple of seats from me. And she was very intelligent. She was very intellectual. I could tell she was educated. She had a razor-sharp sense of humor. She was very pretty. And as she was putting away gin and tonics that night, she became a little more warm and a little more friendly and moved a couple of seats towards me. And after I had had several of my 99-cent draft beers and I had filled up on popcorn... I decided that I was just going to have a real drink or several real drinks because after all, I had a credit card with me. And so later into the evening, we were sitting next to each other and for some strange reason, she grabbed my hand and as we were talking, she just held it. And... I didn't say anything, but I know that I really enjoyed it. I remembered feeling very close. I remember feeling somewhat inebriated. But I remember it not feeling particularly sexual. So finally, she was in the middle of a dialogue. And probably in the middle of her fifth or sixth drink, maybe even more than that. And she asked me, why are we holding hands? And I immediately wanted to say, well, you're the one who held my hand, but I didn't say that. I said, I don't know. And she took a drink of her gin and tonic and she looked at me and said, are we having a moment? (laughs) 
I've come to realize that these moments are what makes us both remember and appreciate our experiences in their totality. One thing I've come to realize, too, is that not all these moments are good moments. The times that I weren't sitting at the pewter mug holding the hands of strange women, I was teaching in a business college, which is actually where I met my wife, so that I wouldn't sit at bars holding hands with strange women. I guess. And my grandmother in West Virginia used to come and stay with us for several months. Every winter, when my grandfather died, and I was sitting in the faculty lounge one day, and I got a phone call. There weren't any texts back then, and I couldn't reach in my pocket and grab a cell phone. We had re real receptionists who actually, you know, intercommed back to the faculty lounge. Matthew, you have a phone call on the line, too. And I picked up the phone, and someone from my family said that my grandmother had had an attack, maybe even a stroke, and had been taken to the hospital. And I was just getting ready to go into a class. And there was a teacher there who I taught with named Bruce Peters. And Bruce Peters and I weren't very close. He was a nice guy. He was a guy's guy. And what I mean by that is he played softball on the weekend, and he sort of was braggadocious about his ability on the field and in the bedroom. And the students really enjoyed him. And he seemed to be a good teacher. He was just a sort of loud, vivacious guy. And really a guy who didn't seem like I would spend a lot of time with this guy. But he happened to be in there. And he said, hey, what's going on, bud? And I told him about my grandmother because he was the only one in the faculty lounge. And he had to go to his class and I had to go to my class. Later in the day, a couple of hours later, I was back in the faculty lounge again. And I got another phone call. And this time, someone from my family had informed me that my grandmother had passed away. And I had never had a family member die before. I mean, my grandfather died previous to her, but that happened at a very young age. I wasn't very close with him, but I was very close with my grandmother. We spent a lot of time, and in a future podcast, I'll talk a little bit about my grandmother. And again, in the faculty lounge were several teachers, including Bruce Peters. And he saw me on the phone, or he must have saw me on the phone, because I hung up the phone and I couldn't control my tears. I stared into the corner where the phone sat on a bench. And all of a sudden, a very warm, reassuring set of hands squeezed the back of my shoulders. And I heard Bruce Peter's voice say, your grandmother? And I said, yes. And he said, don't hold it in, let it go. Just let it all out. And that moment forever changed my impression of Bruce Peter's.
for the last several days, I've been thinking about what the moment must have felt like for our granddaughter, Mally, and her family when she was told that her latest MRI results were not very good. And when I think about it, I ponder something deeper than what the experience felt like and continues to feel like, but the moment it occurred. And I wonder if I'll ever have that depth of courage and fully living life in the present. And it really makes me sit here in awe of her and the whole family. During Zazen meditation, you know, we're taught, we're told to be present in the moment. There is no past and there is no future. And that sitting Zazen meditation is deceptively simple and extraordinarily difficult because our brain really never wants to shut off. And I remember sending a tweet to Brad Warner, a Zen priest who originally is from Akron and was a former punk rocker and someone whom I follow on Twitter and on YouTube. And I expressed this problem, which I'm sure is a common problem with anyone who has attempted any form of meditation. And being that he's a Zen Buddhist priest, I anticipated this uh, very intellectual uh, answer. And I was prepared in that moment to receive this extraordinary gift of intelligence and guidance. And in his tweet, he responded to me. And that alone was a great moment <laughs> that I was very grateful for that someone of his stature would respond. And he's probably one of those persons who probably ignores stature altogether and wants all of us to do the same. And he said, just let them happen and swat them away like so many flies. And with that response, I really got to think about the moments and the fact that we can't really plan the moment and we can't really prepare for it and we can't neglect it so it's enormous catch-22 it's an enormous puzzle an enormous riddle and when we received the news about Mally I started to think and maybe understand about this concept of trying to prepare for the moment and trying to not prepare for the moment. Because regardless of what we all want, which is a cure, which is a miracle, 
We know intuitively that whatever happens is going to happen. When we lived in Pittsburgh, Donna's son Preston and the family came to visit us. And I didn't know the kids very well because we hadn't spent that much time with them. And in particular, I felt like I had some trouble trying to wedge myself into getting to know Mally. We were watching a movie one night, and we all settled down. I sat in my Cleveland Indians chair, and I grabbed a beverage, and out of the blue, Mally gets out of her seat, comes over to the chair, and sits in the chair with me to watch this movie. And I'll never forget the moment of elation that I had. The moment of breakthrough. And the moment of joy of connecting. And now I sit here wondering what the moment was like for her this past weekend. And it reminds me that all of the moments are now. They're not about the past or the future. And since we can't make them ourselves necessarily, and we can't prepare for them, we simply have to be open to them. And I'm forever challenged and I'm forever grateful for the opportunity to live in the moment. And even though I don't completely comprehend the majesty of living in the moment, and I'm not completely successful at living in the moment, I understand that it's really all we have is this moment. I'm sure I don't completely understand the relevance of the Subway restaurant moment. I'm certain that I don't completely understand the moment of sitting at a bar, holding a strange woman's hand, trying to answer the question, are we having a moment? And I'm not quite sure that I even understand the whole experience of my grandmother's death. And I know for certain that I haven't even begun to process the Mally moment. But right now that song has kind of been running through my head, stuck in a moment. And if, and if the night runs over, and if the day won't last, and if your way should falter along the stony pass, it's just a moment, and this time will pass. I don't know that I can completely wrap my head around being able to appreciate every moment, but I'm grateful for the opportunity, even if I can't completely understand them. I've had some wonderful support of the Gratitude Journal podcast, and it's very much appreciated. I've had several nice emails as well from people who have reached out to say that 
The Gratitude Journal podcast is something that uh, should be continued. You know, don't stop the episodes coming. Sorry for the delay. For last week, with my week off from work, which turned out to be a staycation, it made me realize that staycations simply do not work. And (laughs) the batteries never really get fully recharged on a staycation. But this is the time for things to be upended, isn't it? This is the time for things like staycations to occur and for us to hunker down and for us to wait a while while things pass by and try to figure out at least the temporary new normal that has come to affect and inflict all of us. Here's also hoping in whatever frame of mind you are in dealing with and battling this pandemic, whatever side of the aisle you fall on, that you are healthy and that you try your best to avoid any complications from it. We're trying to do our part little by little. We'll be on a plane next weekend and that's always a challenge, but we are up for it and it's a necessary and vital journey. So until then, here's hoping that everything is okay in your world and even better. And thanks for tuning in and downloading and listening to this episode of the Gratitude Journal Podcast.